All right, well, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter uh, 16, I believe it is. We're going to turn there in just a minute. Uh, And on your outline are all of the different uh, passages that we'll be referencing today. If you want to go ahead and get those marked in your Bible, they'll also be shown on the screen uh, behind me. Today, we're going to do something that we have never done at Vineyard Christian Church, and that is I'm starting a three-week series on the topic of money. You know, in eight and a half years, we have probably only had four to five standalone messages that, that dealt with financial topics in any way, uh, but we've never devoted an entire series uh, to money. I know for many people, it's a sensitive topic uh, to be discussed in church as uh, churches sometimes fairly and sometimes unfairly have been accused of being inordinately concerned about money. Uh, If you are here today and you're already going, "Uh uh-oh, bad day to be at the vineyard, I just want to assure you that I feel your pain, I understand your reservation, and uh, I will tell you that I've had some of my own negative experiences uh, with this topic in my church background. So I am not at all insensitive Uh, to the fact that this can be a bit of a touchy subject matter uh, for some of you. I have been a part of church services before where the offering was the longest part of the service. That ain't good. And so I understand this is a touchy uh, subject matter. But my discomfort, and honestly your discomfort... These aren't sufficient reasons to avoid the topic because the Bible has a whole lot to say on the subject of money. Uh, Often when churches talk about money, there is an expectation from those who are prepared to hear the talk uh, that everything is going to be focused on how much or how little money someone gives to the church. But I want you to know that God isn't just concerned about that, and that is not the main emphasis of today's message. God isn't only concerned with how much money or how little money you give to the church. God is concerned with your overall relationship with money. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Uh, Today I'm going to cover some of the important things that I think the Bible has to say about how we ought to think about money. And then next week we're going to cover some more important things the Bible has to say about how we get money and how we go about keeping the money we get. And then in the final week of the series we'll cover some important things the Bible says about how money should be used, what we're supposed to do with the money uh, that we have. And so we're going to begin today in Luke 16 by considering verses 10 through 12, if uh, you have your place marked there. Before we read the text, I want to just briefly thank my father for preaching last week, and uh, I thought it was a good and timely message, and I appreciate him for giving it. Here's what Luke 16 10 through 12 says, these are the words of Jesus. They are set within the context of the parable of the shrewd manager, which I'd encourage you to read on your own this week. Again, verses 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I've titled the series, This is a Test. And I took the title from these verses that make it clear that is exactly what money is. Money is a test. Jesus tells us in these verses that it's a test of trustworthiness. How someone handles a little bit of money is very revealing about how they will handle a lot of money. If someone is dishonest when they only have a little, they'll be dishonest when they have a lot. And Jesus says that if someone isn't trustworthy with worldly wealth, then they're not trustworthy for the things that are true riches. And he says that if someone is untrustworthy in handling another person's money, then they're really not fit to have their own money to oversee. Again, these are all things said by Jesus himself. There's a lot we could say in unpacking these verses and the parable that they're explaining. Uh, But my uh, purpose for today with these verses is fairly simple. I just want you to see scripturally that money is a test. And it's a very comprehensive test. It's a test of your trustworthiness, as the uh, text specifically said. It's a test of our priorities. Money is a test of our values. Money is a test of our affections. Ultimately, money is a test of our love for God. Money is a test of our love for God. Every dollar that you have ever handled in your entire life was part of a test that reveals the condition of your heart. And every dollar you will ever handle throughout the rest of your life is a test of the condition of your heart. Every dollar I'll handle is a test of the condition of my heart. And so as we think about how we ought to think about money, informed by the Bible, we first have to realize that God is very concerned about our relationship with money and that our relationship with money is a test that reveals many things, including the condition of our heart toward God. The next thing that I think we need to do here today is that we need to put to rest a misunderstanding that sometimes results among well-intentioned people. Uh, You know, the church uh, often will pose uh, warnings, will will offer warnings about the dangers of money, the dangers that money uh, bring to our lives. Jesus warned warned us himself about how difficult it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. We often challenge each other this way, and we do this in this church. We, we challenge each other to be on guard against materialism, to be on guard against becoming greedy. And sometimes I think that in our imprecise speaking or our imprecise hearing, Christians can come to believe that money itself is evil. I have, uh, on a number of occasions, heard Christians actually misquote a scripture we're going to read here in a minute, and and the way they use it is they say, well, like the Bible says, money is the root of all evil. Uh, Maybe some of you here think that that's what the Bible says about money, but scripture does not say that about money. 
There are places that refer to unrighteous money in the Bible, and what usually is in view there is the practice of usury, lending money at interest, which honestly the Bible does not seem to be very uh, fond of. But money isn't evil. Money is morally neutral. It isn't good in and of itself. It isn't bad in and of itself. It is simply a means of exchange. And I'm personally thankful for money. I don't think I would fare very well in a barter system. I don't know how to make anything or do anything that anybody would trade me anything for. (laughs) So I am very happy with the monetary system. And I'm thankful that my income is paid in money rather than the fruits and vegetables you grow in your backyards. Money is simply a means of exchange. It is morally neutral. The Bible never says that it's evil. What it says in 1 Timothy 6.10, actually I want to read verses uh, 6 through 10. Here's what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That right there deserves a whole sermon and would reorient our thinking about money if we would ever really grab a hold of just that sentence. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Then we find what the Bible really says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we see here that the Bible does not say money is evil. It does not say money is the root of all evil. It is rather the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. It isn't the root of evil. But the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. And here's the reason that money is so problematic. It's this. So many of us love it. We love it. We want more of it. And we are inordinately concerned with it. Obsessed with it. Notice what Paul wrote. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then he notes one particular evil that results from the love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In their love, if we were to say it uh, probably a little more accurately, in their lust for money, they neglect spiritual matters. They, they walk away from faith. Some of you here today are neglecting spiritual matters in the pursuit of more money. Now, for just a minute here, I'm, I'm not talking to those of you who are simply doing what you have to do to make ends meet. That's not who I have in view right at this moment. I am talking to those of you who the ends are meeting just fine. 
There's no problem with getting the ends to meet. But you are pursuing more and more and more at the expense of spiritual matters. I don't know who you are. I don't have anybody in mind. By the way, I never come up here intending to target something at a person. So I, if you've ever wondered that, I don't do that. So I don't have anybody in mind, but I know there are people here that this fits. If you fit this, Paul says that you have fallen into a trap and that the end result is your ruin and your destruction. So evaluate yourself. Is Paul talking, is he writing about you? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But money itself is not evil. It's morally neutral. The problem is your love for it. So how we ought to think about money according to the Bible. We should realize that money is a test. We should understand that money isn't evil, but the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. And third, if we're going to think about money biblically, our thinking needs to include this truth. Money doesn't bring happiness. Money doesn't bring happiness. Now, evidence for this is in such abundant supply that you would think we would all really be able to live uh, this truth out. You see this truth played out in the lives of the wealthy all the time. You see this played out in the lives of the, the rich and famous virtually constantly. People who have literally everything that you could get in life, and yet they are not happy. I don't need to even give you any examples of this. You have names scrolling through your brain right now of people that you know, people who make it onto the news all the time, who have everything, but they aren't happy. Many of you know people who are financially very well off. You may even know people who are truly wealthy, and yet you know them to be unhappy and miserable people. Some of us here today are pretty well off financially. There might even be a, a few of you hiding among us who are wealthy. And yet you know it's true that money doesn't buy happiness because even though you have a lot of it, you aren't happy. And we have reliable testimony on this matter from arguably the wealthiest person who has ever lived. If you're following along in the daily Bible reading plan that we're doing here as a church, you know that during November we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's what King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He wrote this, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. 
I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were, uh, uh, I bought, I'm sorry, male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. We are talking about true wealth. I amassed uh, silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. Not sure why you would want those, but he acquired those. And a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Note this next line. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. He had the means to have everything that he wanted. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward of my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. A couple of chapters deeper into Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And then this famous line, all man's efforts are for his mouth, for his appetites. And yet his appetite is never satisfied. Money doesn't bring happiness. If you don't already, this is something you need to realize about money and something that needs to be central to your thinking about money. From rich, famous people who are miserable to your rich and miserable friends To the man who denied himself nothing, the testimony remains consistent. Money doesn't bring happiness. It does not because it can't. It's not capable of it. And now we come to the part of the sermon where I meddle a little bit. You should keep all of this in mind as you are doing your Christmas shopping this year. Money and the things it can buy will not bring you happiness, at least not happiness of a lasting variety. Can we just be honest about a a few things here today? Some of you are going to spend too much money for Christmas. And I, I don't, I'm not a person who thinks there's, there's an, a, you know, like a, a standard of too much for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to be spending too much for you for Christmas. And you're going to pay for it by continuing to struggle financially because you're trying to find something in money and the stuff it can buy that it cannot deliver, why not stop the madness this year? Give gifts. I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of gifts. Give gifts. 
but within reason. Give gifts within what your budget can handle. Should be a lot of amens here. I think, well, yeah. I guess I didn't think I was going to be hitting this many people in the face. (laughs) Others of you here today are buying gifts within your means, but you see everyone else buying beyond their means, and it makes you feel bad about yourself. You feel discouraged. And I understand your feeling. My kids come home and report what all their friends at school got. And I think, doggone it, I thought we did pretty well. But I guess we're just awful parents. <laughs> I understand your feeling. But here's what I would encourage you this Christmas. Do not let an out-of-control culture dictate to you how you should feel about yourself. By all means, give gifts. But if you are giving within your means, you are doing well and you are doing right. You're doing what you ought to be doing. After all, here is a revolutionary thought to consider about Christmas. It is not your birthday and it is not your kid's birthday. It's really not. So many of us turn Christmas into what Solomon warned about. All of man's efforts are for his appetites, and yet his appetite is never satisfied. And you see this in your children every time they open their gifts, and you see the expression on their face. Is that all? Is that all? Absolutely, that's all. What is wrong with you, kid? That's all. (laughs) You know, many people find the book of Ecclesiastes to be a bit of a downer. I have to tell you, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Because it, it just exposes life apart from God is really what it does. And I love how it ends. This man who had the means to do everything that the world has to offer. He experienced all the riches and pleasures that can be had. He surveyed everything he had done in his life. And at the end of the book, here's what he says. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I've done everything else and it's all meaningless. Here's the conclusion. Fear God. Keep his commandments. All that other stuff is empty. Love and respect the Lord. Live your life for him. Money is a test. It is an evil, but the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. Money doesn't bring happiness. And here's a fourth thing we have to think about money if we're going to think about it the way we ought to. Money can become your master... Money can become the object of your worship. Money can become your God. We started out today reading Luke 16, uh, 10 through 12, which informed us that money is a test. Here's what Luke 16, 13 says. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. And then the verse ends with this sober warning. And friends, I'm telling you, any of us living in the United States of America in the year 2013, this is a sober warning to us. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. It's not possible. It cannot be done. You can serve God or you can serve money. But you cannot serve both God and money. Both and is not possible here. This is absolutely an either or situation. You can either serve God or money, but you cannot serve both. So, who is your master? Nobody knows the answers you're going to give, so answer honestly. Who's your master? God or money? Who are you serving, God or money? Who is your God? The one who created you and gave his one and only son to die for you? Or money? Who do you give priority to, God or money? Who do you value, God or money? Who has your affection, God or money? Who has your heart? Creator God or the false God of money? You say God. What do your actions say? What do your actions say? William Barclay writes, When people put their trust in material things, then material things have become not their support, but their God. Matthew 6.24 states the same thing as Luke 16. You cannot serve both God and money. These verses are really a matter of ownership. Does God own you? Or does money own you? Does God own you? Or doesn't he? These four points that we've covered to, to, to this part of the message are all vitally important biblical truths that should inform our thinking about money. And I hope that you will be receptive to each and every one of these. And now I want to share with you what I think is the most important thing for a Christian to think, for a Christian to believe about money. It's found in the 50th Psalm, verses 10 through 12. The psalm doesn't specifically reference money, but the point is there very powerfully. Here's what God says in these verses. Every animal in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. The most important thing for a Christian to understand, to believe, to think about money, the world and everything in it, including you and the money you say is yours, including me and the money I say is mine, it all belongs to God. Every single bit of it. God says to all of us here today, the world is mine and everything in it is mine. You have never had a single thing in your entire life 
that did not belong to God. That did not come directly to you from the hand of God. Everything is His. Nothing is yours. Nothing is mine except what He entrusts to us. Except what He gives to us. If we could ever really believe this, it would change our attitudes about money. It would change our actions regarding money. If we really believe this, it would change how we go about acquiring money, which we're going to talk about next week. It will change how we go about keeping money, which we'll talk about next week. Everything about money will change if we think about it the way we ought to, and most importantly, if we understand that it all belongs to God. Friends, I mean this uh, sincerely because the Bible says it very clearly. God is not just concerned with the money you give or do not give to the church, though he is concerned with that. God is concerned with absolutely everything about you and your money. Everything. He's concerned with your thoughts about it. He's concerned with how you acquire it. He's concerned with how you use it. He's concerned about all these things because all the money that you think is yours is actually his. And because it's his, you and I have a responsibility to think about it, acquire it, and use it the way he wants us to. Too many people think that giving an offering to the church satisfies God when it comes to money. Not so. Not so. I've heard this said for years. God tells you to give 10% and then you do whatever you want with the rest. That's not true. That's not biblical. (laughs) It's just not. God is concerned with all of it. He cares about all of it because it's all his. Your money is a test. It's a test of your priorities, your values, your affections. It is ultimately a test of your love for God. What do your thoughts and actions regarding money reveal about you? Do they reveal that God is your master that God is your owner, or do they reveal that something else has become your God? Money is a test. It is an evil, but it's the love of it that is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not bring happiness. You cannot serve it and God, and every dollar you have belongs to God. Biblically, this is how we ought to think about money. Are you saying?